Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Listen, last week of the fast starts today. Are you excited? Has it been good for you? you get, I, I'd love to hear some testimonies from you when this is over or you know, maybe something that's already happened. Like uh, I loved what you shared, Katrina. I really appreciate you sharing that. It was very encouraging and uh, helps to drive home the, the importance of, of periods of time, seasons like this when we can set cer- uh, certain things aside in order to pursue God a little more fully and totally and get some things straightened out. Uh, if uh, maybe... The fast has been unsatisfying to you uh, the first two weeks. Feel free to change it. Do something different. It's like, well, I've I've been fasting sugar and I really don't feel like it's making a difference. How about skipping a meal? There's an advantage there because then you could take that time that you normally spend maybe preparing and eating a meal and spend that time praying and reading. Uh, Maybe, hey, look, maybe you've done something. It's like maybe you want to finish the last uh, three days of the fast as a total fast. That can be a pretty exciting experience if you haven't done it before. Uh, and you, you'll learn some things about yourself. Uh, and probably some things about God too. You'll sure learn some things about yourself. I love to, uh, uh, I usually read a passage out of Richard Foster's book around this time of year. But when he, he talks about uh, when you do an extended fast, a total fast, you know, where it's just water. You know, by the time you get a few days into it, you will find yourself tired, certainly hungry. But not only that, you'll, you'll, certain things, other things will manifest, like anger. You get short with people, he says, but God will show you that you're not angry with people because you're hungry. You're angry with people because you have anger in you. And all these things that you didn't know were in you will come out when you squeeze them uh, in a fast, okay? So anyway, and then you can't deal with it if you don't know it's there, right? Uh Perhaps just as important is a week from now is the family meal. (laughs) And uh, I know that's been announced, but sign up and be thinking about something good to share. I will. There was a little bit of discussion uh, about whether I would be doing saloon beef again this year because doing something in February where where that will be featured. But how many of you eat uh, the same food once a month at least? I mean, I eat. There's several foods I eat every day. You know, there's certain staples of the diet. So anyway, uh, I, bottom line is I will be preparing saloon beef, uh, but don't let that, that doesn't mean you just get to bring a bag of potato chips, okay? Bring something good to share. And finally, I, I uh, hesitated to say anything about this or not, but will you stop bothering me about my hair? There's a reason for this. I know. I, I guess it's getting to be a distraction, which is why I'm addressing it now. The bottom line is, if I cut my hair, I will lose my strength and become as other men. (laughs) And there's a beautiful woman in my house who tries to get me to fall asleep in her lap every night. Now, I know what she's up to, so I don't. She she actually liked it when I started to grow it long, and now she's kind of on board with everybody else. And I'll tell you what was going on. I want it cut, too. I'm not crazy, but it's kind of fun. I love the feel of it, I admit. But I agree, it looks stupid. I totally agree. But I told myself I would reward myself with a haircut once I lost a certain amount of weight. All right? But shh, 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 shh. Oh, wow. 
Did you hear that? Why well, about you just reward the rest of us? Well, I started saying that months ago, and then it dawned on me that, wow, here I am setting this reward for myself, but I'm not taking any steps toward that goal. And then, so the fast has been a nice kickstart to that, you know. It, it, it's kind of one of those side benefits. Yeah, three-week fast if you're doing something serious, and I've already seen a difference. But that goal is still far enough off that I think if I stick to that commitment, my hair is going to be halfway down my back, so I'll probably abandon that. All right. What? What'd you say? Hallelujah? Hallelujah that I'm giving up? No, what I want is you let it grow, Pastor. We're with you. All right. I'll do it democratically. Anyway, so all that. Okay. I just didn't want you to think, wow, does he think he looks cool? No, I know it doesn't look cool. But it feels cool. I got to tell you. I'll use squares with your short hair. All right, anyway, let's get busy. Man, we've, we've, uh, I still got a sermon to preach, and, and this is much later than I usually get up, uh, get up here, so let's get moving. Uh, we are in a five-week series called Take a Good Look, and we looked a couple weeks ago up. Looking up is looking to God, our Father in heaven. Looking down, well, oh, actually, let me stop there. Let me explain that just a little bit. We talked a lot about God. Obviously, we can't exhaustively address every one of these subjects as we come up to them, but where we landed was probably the most comprehensive way of looking at God. If we want to see him as he deserves and desires to be seen, is to think about him as our father. If we don't think of him as our father, we will miss something when it comes to his mercy, when it comes to his justice, Uh, even though, yes, of course, he is Lord, God, King, Judge, Creator, all of that, but it's more wrapped up in terms of our relationship with him. Nothing really Uh, encapsulates what he is more than father. Last week we looked down. We talked about the devil. We talked about the origin of Satan and demons. We talked about their operations today. And of course, again, it's impossible to do an in-depth study in one message, but the main point probably is that his kingdom, his rulership over mankind was undone by Jesus Christ. When I say we look down at the enemy, it's not because he's in hell. It's because he's under our feet. By the way, Wednesday night, I kind of did a follow-up message on that. We talked last week about when Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And uh, that's the verse we really looked at Wednesday night. Really encourage you to get that message. Today, we are looking around. Now, we could expand this message in scope to consider uh, looking around at current events, the world at large, even the universe. But what we are really focusing on when I say looking around is we are looking at other people. Even more specifically, as we get to the end of the message, looking at our brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's start big, and we'll draw the circle smaller as we go. Mankind, since we are all descended from Adam and Eve, the idea of a brotherhood of man is not necessarily a godless idea. We are indeed brothers and sisters in a broad sense, biologically speaking. What we know as believers, as Bible believers, is that we all, as the brotherhood of man, are infected with a disease called original sin or the sin nature. We inherited that from our first father, Adam. So another thing that people say uh, that is pretty true, depending on, you know, there's, there's some theological baggage attached to this statement, depending on where you are in your, whether you believe 
whether you're a believer or not. But anyway, when people say, hey, we're all sinners, that's kind of true, isn't it? Because we were all born sinners. What I don't like, and I'm getting ahead of myself already, but what I don't like is when Christians, born-again believers who are in Christ, say, well, I'm nothing but an old sinner saved by grace. Now, you were an old sinner till you were saved by grace, and now you're a saint. Now you're in Christ, all right? There's always been this division uh, between God's people and other people. This uh, goes back to, I'll have you turn to Genesis chapter 4, or just listen as I read, or read it from the screen. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. This is after the fall, okay? And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore, and this is also after Cain and Abel, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain, Cain killed. And as, uh, boy, sorry, I got a little strike there. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. This is where this division is first um, identified in the word of God between God's people, not God's people. We have Adam and Eve, we have the fall of man, we have Cain and Abel, and then we have Seth. And it's often called the line of Seth when we talk about the sons of God. Technically, I guess it's the line of Enosh, Enosh, uh, Seth's son, because it says, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. I don't know what, and again, we, the, the dates and the, the, the number of years that passed, this all didn't just happen just like this. However, there was a time when people were there, I guess, believing in the existence of God, understanding that God existed and, and, and was somehow involved, but not praying, not seeking him. With Enosh, it began. People began to call on the name of the Lord. And it's fast, uh, go forward a couple chapters to Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man. Whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Once again, this division. And the division there was who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Go forward to Genesis chapter 12. This is where it gets even more specific and prophetic. Beginning in verse 1, Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This the call of Abraham was the beginning of the Jewish race. It was out of Abraham and through Abraham's seed that God would bring uh, forth the 12 tribes of Judah and through them that he would bring forth the Messiah. This, I will, uh, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, is a direct reference to Jesus Christ. Many hundreds of years in the future from Abraham. And... So he began to work out his specific plan to redeem mankind from the evil. You know, he rescued Noah before that. Uh, 
apart from this, it wasn't apart, but it was prior to him calling forth Abraham and identifying a people for himself. But once he did that, then hundreds of years after this conversation with Abraham, this was crystallized with the law. Under Moses' leadership, God drew a clear line between his people and the nations of the Gentile world. And we see all of this just in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 5, Deuteronomy 4, 5, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. I love this. And this is a point, this is just one example that shows us what God had in mind when he did with Israel, what he did with Israel. Keep that in mind. Not only was the line drawn clearly, but God placed them in the sight of people. He didn't sequester them. He didn't quarantine them. He put them in the midst of these nations, as Ezekiel put it, in the midst of the nations, so that they might observe the goodness of God to his people, that they would see just how well Israel was doing and come to the only logical conclusion. This is a wise and understanding people. They know a God who really knows how to take care of them. So, Now we can just fast forward to the New Testament. Uh, And Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses. And he died in our place for our failure to fulfill the law. And he rose from the dead and he offers a new life. He offers to make us a new creation, a new people. So here we are. It's a whole, I know I fast forward through a lot of stuff. I'm not going to go through the whole Bible. I'm trying to get to where, what does this have to do with how we look at one another? There's still a difference, isn't there? between the people of God and the people of the world, but it's no longer Jew and Gentile. It's no longer the physical descendants of Abraham. It's those who are Christians and those who are not. The saved and the unsaved. The believer and the unbeliever. The believer and the lost. If anything, the difference is much more stark, or should be anyway than the difference between Jew and Gentile, because the Jew never could keep the law. He was identified as the person who was supposed to, supposed to keep the law and preserve the law and preserve uh, you know, God's instructions until the coming of Messiah, but he never could. He ended up being uh, a sinner who was preserved by grace, or by the grace of God and by faith until the Messiah came to set everything right. Jesus is the real thing. He doesn't just cover us up temporarily. Uh, He works a change in us. This is why Paul was able to say in Galatians chapter 2, Galatians 2.20, he said this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's a pretty powerful statement. Now, what does it mean for us? Like I said, we'll start big, we'll bring it closer. When we think of the world, we think of nations, languages, governments, etc., we have to remember that all of those distinctions are relatively unimportant in light of eternity. There is nothing wrong, for instance, with being a patriot. But there really are limits to our patriotism, or there ought to be. The reality is, if you are a Christian, you have more in common fundamentally with an Iranian Christian 
than you do an American pagan. Do you understand that? You have more in common fundamentally with an Iranian Christian than you do an American Buddhist or an American atheist. But we're all Americans. Now, I understand it gets confusing when when nations go to war. Can't address that this morning. Not very fully anyway. Might come back around to it in a minute. We'll see. Uh, but it's tough to walk out practically. We can sit there and say, yep, that's, that's my brother over there. But it's tough to walk out practically because uh, our lives often don't intersect with believers from other cultures. But we do see, especially in the epistles, the writings of, uh, you know, after the Gospels, after the book of Acts, then we have the letters. And we see that this basic division still exists. Sometimes uh, the language is even the same. When, they, when I'm talking about the, when they t- write about Jew and Gentile, when they write about believers and unbelievers, one of my favorite verses, many of you know this, is First Peter 2.12. It says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Now this is post-resurrection, you understand. This is after Paul said there is no longer any Jew or Gentile. But Peter writes, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. When he uses the word Gentiles there, he's simply using that as a way to describe the unbeliever. It's a substitute word now. Just as Paul writes, and I'll read something here, uh, there, there are many ways in many places he says it, where, that when you're looking at the true Jew, the Jew of God or the Israel of God, that's us. That the Israel, is not, uh, the, the Israel of God is not someone who's descended from Abraham biologically, but somebody who's been grafted into that covenant. Same with Gentile. Gentile is just a new uh, substitute word now for sinners. Uh, this is uh, very consistent, like I said, with what Paul wrote to the Galatians. Uh, I, I would encourage you to read that book again, especially chapter 3. But here in... Uh, uh, I didn't copy and paste this. Let me find it here real quick. Galatians 3, 5. We'll just read it off of here. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. That's us. That's the church. All these promises, that's, that's people say, Well, why read the Old Testament anymore? We're New Testament. Because God made promises to his people in the Old Testament, specifically to Abraham, and again, uh, through Moses, that... They're wonderful promises. And I don't want to look at those promises and say, oh, gee, I wish I lived in the Old Testament. Number one, the conditions for keeping those promises were awfully hard to keep, ultimately impossible to keep. But Paul says those promises are still in effect. And they're yes and amen in Christ Jesus. They are still made for the Jew, but guess who the Jew is now? It's Abraham's spiritual children, not his biological children. And that's us. So, there's a difference. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. 
whose praise is not from men, but from God. It's all over the place, but that's enough for now. We have two classes of people, spiritually speaking, saved and lost, believer and unbeliever. But looking around, which is what we're doing today, how am I really to see them? Because we still classify people as friends, acquaintances, enemies. And I suggest to you that a good way of thinking about it, as we look around at our fellow man, is we have brothers and sisters, of course, and we have neighbors. And Jesus talks about your neighbor. It's different from talking about your brother. Not that you can't be neighbors with your brother, you understand. You remember, of course, uh, if I say the word neighbor and ask you to think about something in the Bible, most of you are going to remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you remember it, right? Guy was attacked, left for dead on the side of the road. A couple of religious people come by and ignore him. Samaritan, who was considered, if, to the audience of this story, these were, these were lowlifes. They didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. They didn't worship right. They had all sorts of bad theology. But he picked this guy up. He carried him, took him to the inn, paid for him. And Jesus is telling this story. Remember, he had asked Uh, He'd been having a conversation with somebody who wanted to be justified. And he told him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, what? Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this story. Has anybody ever been frustrated when you read this story and say, Jesus didn't really answer the question? He didn't, though. He turned it around at the guy and basically says, don't worry about who your neighbor is. You concentrate on being the neighbor. You be a good neighbor. And we treat people with dignity and respect, even if they have a different religion from ours, if they have a different belief system. Treating them with dignity and respect does not mean you embrace their belief. This is where the world has gone off the rails today, and it's insane. It, absolutely, it violates all the laws of logic that classical education has taught for hundreds of years. That I disrespect you unless I say you and what you believe are just as right about what you believe as what I believe. Without any regard for the fact that what you believe is different from what I believe. I really can. And I've done it my whole life. It's only recently that the world has come to this insane conclusion that it's impossible. I know it's not impossible because my whole life I've been able to have civil conversations while telling people to their face, I think you're wrong. And telling them why I think they're wrong. Wrong's going to be the next word that, that gets you canceled in this cancel culture. You can't call anybody wrong. Might as well call him a never mind. Now, so Jesus turns it around. Don't sweat so much about who your neighbor is. You be the good neighbor. Uh, read this in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. 
Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, there are things he says. When he says to one another, who's he talking to? He's talking to believers. And there are things he says about in the sight of all men or to all men. He's talking about your neighbors. Now, I understand, again, this is hard to walk out in every single situation. And it does. It opens up a huge discussion on war versus pacifism. But it's really not the scope of this sermon. I'm addressing how we act, how we live, in what the Bible calls our conversation, our lifestyle. And how it needs to be consistent. Again, make no mistake, there's a difference. We are, biologically speaking, the family of man. But you and I are children of God. And not everybody is. That's one of those things when you train yourself to hear conversation, to hear news, to hear messages, to hear speeches, to read essays, whatever through the eyes of, the, uh, of spiritual understanding, certain phrases will just cause you to cringe. I, you know, I'll, and I notice it a lot at uh, funerals. You know, we are all the children of God. And God, we're sending, you know, delivering, we're releasing one of your children back to you. And I'm sometimes been sitting there thinking, I don't think that person's a child of God. And I know not everybody is. And the preacher certainly ought to know better. Well, aren't we all descended from Adam? Yes, we are. But we rebelled. And Jesus is the one who's turned to to, uh, people in his lifetime and said, you are of your father, the devil. You can't be the devil's children and God's children at the same time. Now, does God desire that we all be his children? Yeah, he's got a big family. He's got plenty of room. But not everybody is not just because they're people. So we look around, and again, when Paul was writing, let your love be without hypocrisy. As far as it's possible, if it's up to you, be at peace with all men. What's he saying? It's not always going to be possible. But when, when, when peace is broken, when fellowship is broken, don't let it be your fault. If they break fellowship with you, you know, kind of kick, kick the dust off your shoes or whatever. Pray for them. But don't be combative. Respect people. Be kind to them. Give them every reason to maintain fellowship with you because as far as you know, you might be their only link to the truth. All right? We're not here to win arguments. We're here to win people. So we look around, and I'm not talking about you know, we start kind of looking around the world, and we look around our, our little world, and now I'm talking about looking around the room. What are we supposed to see? We're supposed to see family. 
you might not feel a real deep affinity for every brother or sister in here. I mean, let's be honest. Even in this room, even on a day when we're missing a lot of people, you can look around and say, there are people in here I like more than other people. If we're going to think about it in terms of human love, I love some people in here more than I love some other people in here. So you look around and say to somebody, I'm not, you know, I don't hate them. I just don't love them that much. I get it. That's human. Just don't forget this. God does. It's very difficult to keep being dismissive of somebody once you realize how much God loves them. There's certain people's kids you don't mess with. God desires that his children display a love toward one another that is like the love that he displays towards us. And he is so passionate about that that the language he gave to the authors of the New Testament is such that we are not only family, we are one body. Whether we feel like it or not, and whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we need each other. Let me shift gears here for just a minute. I know just through conversation, through reading Facebook posts, and, and again, mostly through conversation, that, that by and large, and this I'm paying, I know not every single person in here, but by and large, this is a conservative congregation, politically speaking, I mean. Uh, I mean, one of the manifestations of that is we just recognized and celebrated the sanctity of human life this morning. That is a uh, plank and has long been a plank of the conservative platform. Now, whether the people who are standing on that platform are pro-life in their heart of hearts, I don't know. I know a lot of them are they're saying what they need to say to get votes. But the fact is, that plank, that, that idea, that principle, the sanctity of human life, uh, it's, it's something that identifies us as a church. But conservatives are often seen as cold and hard when it comes to things like welfare, caring for the poor, social justice. And why is that? If you identify as a conservative, would you ever say, honestly, that you hate the poor? But do you know there are people who believe that you do just because you might cast a vote a certain way? And this is how shallow and how poor our understanding is of one another. Do they really think we don't care? Do we really not care? And of course that's not the truth. We recognize, though, when we, uh, when we just look around, I mean, good grief, the statistics are out there. Many of you could tell me stories of somebody that you personally know or maybe a season in your own life. Uh, but what we're looking around here is the tendency that is born of sin, that comes out of the sin nature, to take without giving. It's kind of built into us. And Jesus builds it out of us. We are not or shouldn't be against assistance, against welfare per se. What, what are we against? Abuse of the system. 
And we understand that the sin nature leads a lot of people, I dare say millions of people, to take advantage of the system, to play the system, to work it. And those systems are there in place to help those who genuinely need it. Now, you, you know, you've seen the memes. It's Monday, get up and go to work. Millions of welfare recipients are counting on you. And the fact is that many, many people do need help. Now, I'm not sure it's strictly the government's job to do the redistribution thing. At the same time, though, I am fundamentally glad that we live in a nation that is compassionate enough and rich enough to have these systems. It's born of a good heart, I think. But if you are able to work, I think we can all agree with this. If you are able to work and choose not to work because, because you found a way to game the system, then you are making a conscious choice to lay an extra burden on those who work and pay into the system. It's selfish. And that's easy to see. I think we could all agree with that. Now, and where the discussion is, is, oh, you're saying they're gaming the system and say, well, if they go off welfare and work, they're actually going to lose money this. I understand the system. It needs, it needs a lot of tweaking. But I think we do need to have a certain, there does need to be a certain kind of safety net for people who really need it. And it's a shame that we have to invest so many millions, probably billions of dollars, overseeing it to see that people don't game it. Take something that's not theirs. Steal from you and and from me, right? It's too bad. Why do we have to? Because of the sin nature. But let me bring it back inside the four walls of this building, or however many walls there are. If you are enjoying the benefits of church, as we look around today, if you enjoy the sermons, if you enjoy the fellowship, the relationships, the programs, if you enjoy the building, the parking lot, any aspect of this local church, but you are not involved in any way in making it work, you're gaming the system. Can, can you, are you able and qualified to teach a Sunday school class? Then you should. Can you uh, join the maintenance crew on Fridays? We're getting more and more people who show up on Fridays to do work and do some cleaning and some projects. If you can be here, be here. Can you greet? Can you show up early on snowy days and shovel or spread salt or you just assume somebody else is going to have it done? Can you clean a bathroom? Can you host a small group? Can you cook a meal for somebody when it's needed? Are you tithing? Are you giving offerings? If you don't, unless you are one of the very few people who on paper, mathematically, are unable to do so. If you are not tithing and not giving offerings, you know what you're doing? You are consciously deciding to lay a greater financial burden on your brothers and sisters who tithe and give offerings. And that's not what love looks like. That's not what being a good neighbor looks like. That's not what being a good citizen looks like. And it's certainly not what obedience to God's word looks like. And we have 
or have had historically a high percentage of tithers. I don't know how some churches get by. We have a historically a, a, an obedient congregation when it comes to that. People who love the church, they love the work of God, they love their local church. And so we gladly give. You know, God loves a cheerful giver. Man. When somebody of means likes you, you ever hear, ever hear the phrase, hit your wagon to a star? No? It's like I'm going to somehow connect myself to a person of power and influence. Because if they like me, they can do a lot for me. And man, this is, I've seen this happen big time in the military. This, this, it's, it's, it, it can be a little hard to watch. But it happens in companies too. People, you get these uh, sycophantic behaviors that people, you know, suck-ups, whatever you want to call them, just trying to get in good with the right person. But it doesn't have to be like that. You could just be doing your job right. You could be doing something that, that causes you to find favor with somebody. Maybe you just had the opportunity to do one good thing for somebody, and then you find out that they're in a position to do something great for you. There's, there's movies and books based on that kind of thing. Now imagine if you could do something, something specific that God loves. God loves a cheerful giver. I think I'll just decide to be the happiest giver I know. Because God loves that. And he's in a position to do a few things for me. Listen, when everybody is invested, and I'm not just talking about the tithe and the offering. It's just that I, I, I like to be honest. Let's talk about, oh, you can serve, you can do this. There's so many things you can do for the church. But tithing and, 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 and giving of offerings is something that is clearly spelled out in Scripture. And it's something that, that clearly everybody should be doing. But we, it shouldn't just be that. I'll go on a rant if I'm careful, and I don't have time for that today. And it wasn't about money. It was something else. It was lack of involvement. Get involved. Find some place to be involved. If you're like, Scott, I'd love to be more involved. I don't know how to be. Come talk to me. I promise we will find, we'll, we'll, we'll find a connection for you, Okay? When everybody is invested in a local church, that church is healthy. And living healthy things will grow. I'm going to read to you a passage uh, from C.S. Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory. I've probably read it before. I know I've read some of it before. You know I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. I probably don't quote him as often as I do Ravi Zacharias. Uh, but there's probably no, not two other guys I quote more often than those two. And C.S. Lewis, of course, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote Mere Christianity, The Screw Tape Letters, The Great Divorce, a number of great books. I love them all. I recommend them all. Uh, as far as his shorter works, I don't think he has ever written anything finer than this essay. And you can find it online for free. Uh, you can get a book of his essays. I think the book itself is called The Weight of Glory, but this is the... This is how, toward the end of this essay, he writes this. And he's talking about what does it mean? What does the glory of God mean if we are promised glory with him in heaven? Some wonderful, wonderful insights. But toward the end of it, he, reads, he, he writes this. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden 
of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And that's a colorful phrase, you understand. He's talking about our, when we are glorified, when our glorified bodies. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else, a horror and a corruption, such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Man. Oh, we can be mean, can't we? We have a duty to outsiders, to neighbors, that goes far beyond treating them nice and respectfully. Our niceness, our respectfulness, our treating them with dignity, our loving them, is how we fulfill our duty. And our duty is to win them to Christ. That's our duty. That's our goal. That's our end game. We don't get points just for being nice. That doesn't, that doesn't help them. It makes them feel good. But being nice does a couple practical things. Number one, it keeps this relationship good. And that keeps the conversation flowing. It also shows them, and this is probably bigger, a bigger deal in the larger sense, if we are unified in how we treat our neighbors... And how we treat one another. By this shall all men know that you, are my that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. If we treat each other the way Jesus tells us to treat each other, and if we treat our neighbors as Jesus tells us to treat our neighbors, you know what they're going to see? They are going to see Jesus. Because we are his body. Now, is it outside the realm of possibility that they've, they will have a vision? Like I've talked about a couple of times recently, people having these things. They have dreams. They see Jesus himself. No, they can see him. But this is the way they should be able to expect to see him. They should look at Living Word Family Church and say, that is what Jesus looks like. But you can only look so much like Jesus, and I can only look so much like Jesus. We are the body, not I am the body. 
We are individually members of the body of Christ. We can't win them to Christ without being an accurate picture of his body. Now, we can only be his body because of his blood. Let me ask you this quick. And praise and worship team, you can be coming on up here. Uh, and everybody else, go ahead and stand up for a minute. We're going to sit back down and receive communion. We're just going to do things a little bit, dip more, a little bit differently today, but I want you to stretch and listen here. I'm not going to take real long with this, but I would love for every single person in here to be a part of this body. And I'm looking around, I'm thinking maybe everybody in here is a part of this body. Like I said, you can only be part of the body because of the blood, meaning the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are not saved. You are not a believer. You are not a Christian unless you personally have confessed, agreed with what the Word of God says about you and what the Word of God says about Jesus. The Word of God says you were born a sinner and you need a Savior. The Word of God says Jesus is our Savior and has paid the price to wash away our sin. The Bible says that if we'll confess him as our Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. I believe it's a, it's a transformational moment. Is there growth in Christ? Yes. But becoming a Christian is not a process. It's a new birth. And you can become a new creation today. Be part of this body. Why am I doing this now? Because we're going to take communion here in just a, in just a minute or two. The only people biblically who should be taking communion are people who are believers. Born again. New creation. If you want to make that decision, if you want to make that decision to be in the body of Christ, guess what? You get to take communion. <laughs> you do, but that's not, the big, that's not the big prize. You get to be a part of what Jesus Christ is doing in St. Joseph, Illinois, United States of America, planet Earth, starting today. And then when this whole thing wraps up, and sometimes I think I can't wait, when we're out of here, we go to be with him forever. And you don't want the alternative. If you want to make that decision today, nothing would make me happier. Nothing would make every believer in this room happier. Nothing would make God happier than you making that decision, coming down here now and letting me pray with you. You know, somebody pointed out to me recently, I can't remember who it was or where I read this, uh, but when it says, uh, you know, when one sinner repents, the angels rejoice doesn't really say that it says there's joy in the presence of the angels or rejoicing in the presence of the angels that means god's doing the rejoicing you want to make god rejoice give him your life today well scott i think i'm a christian i made a decision a while back and now i'm not sure but god would rejoice if you made sure i will rejoice with you maybe you're like you know scott I did pray a prayer when I was little, and I meant it. But there's nothing about my life, nothing about the way I've, I've, I've lived, especially recently, that is any different from the world. And I want to recommit. Come up here and do that. Let me pray with you for that as well. This isn't just about you. The longer you hold on to your right not to be a part of this, 
you are cutting yourself off from the body and you are cutting the body off from yourself. And it's not just that the body needs you, it's that you need the body. We need each other. So for your sake, for our sake, for God's sake, come and receive Jesus this morning. I'm going to pray a quick prayer. Quick prayer. As soon as I'm done, you come up here and let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for every person in this room. Open our eyes, Lord, and help us to see one another as what we truly are. Family and members of the same body. Help us to love one another as you love us. Help us to manifest that love to one another and show that love to the world. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody in this room who does not know you as Savior, does not know you as Father, that they would come to know you today. Holy Spirit, please convict those, anyone in here who does not know you, of their need to know you. Grant them the humility to accept that free gift and the wisdom and the boldness to come and receive it today. In Jesus' name, all the believers said, Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.